welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. If you're wondering why it smells like something's burning, it's because it is. I've lit some things on fire, so if you came in the, the, the room today, the, the building, you're like, it smells like something's burning. It, it, it's because there is stuff burning. Um, and it's coming right from over here, so it's smoking, it's just coming up, so don't be alarmed, this is all part of my charade, all right? Um, if you, that's what I call my sermons on Sundays, just one big charade. Um, if you didn't get one of these pieces of paper, they say, Dear Me, on it, you might need one, and um, if there's somebody in the back uh, at the Discover Awaken booth, they will be passing them out and walking down the aisles, otherwise you can grab one in the back, there's some up here in the front. Ready? I'm just kidding. I used to, when I was a youth pastor, I used to throw pens and papers at people, but I'm 40 now, so I can't do that. So here those are, if you need them. Whoops, a daisy. Well, here, we'll set them on the chair. That's good. And there's pens. So if you need one of those, there they are. Um, so glad you're here on this rainy March Sunday morning. Uh, we're in a series in Lent. This is the season of Lent, and so... We are in a series called Eat This Book. It's basically walking through the narrative lectionary, and so we are in the Gospel of John as of late. So we're going to be in John 18. I'll invite you to turn there. Um, I remember I was, uh, it, my wife and I, Laura, we bought a house at 6438 Newton Avenue. It was our first home that we ever bought, and a few months after we bought our house, we went on a pretty long vacation, and so we were gone outside of our home for a while. And when we came back from vacation, I remember opening the door to my house and immediately I was transported back in the past and I was standing there with Rita Theisel, who was my, uh, my realtor, and Laura, the first time we had ever visited this house, 6438. And the smell of the home, right, you know how sometimes houses have like a distinct smell to them? And I hadn't, you know, you live there for a while and so you sort of lose objectivity, but when you're away for a bit and then you come back and you smell it, it immediately transported me back to that day when I was there, the first time we ever saw our house. Same thing happens to me when I smell the rain in uh, the foothills of Colorado, like a warm summer rain, and it hits the sage in the foothills, and there's this like sweet smell that rises up out of the mountains, and I am immediately waist-deep in a river fishing with my buddy Ian, likely skipping a youth ministry class, which is why I was such a great youth pastor. Trevor, go to your classes, Okay. Um, but the smell of sage in the summer and when it rains, I'm just immediately, and it transports me right back there. Uh, does anybody ever remember Plumeria, the Bath and Body Works scent? Any Plumeria fans out there? A couple of you? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Plumeria. When I smell Plumeria, I am 19, wildly in love with my then-girlfriend, then-fiance, now-wife, Laura, in, uh, um, in Denver, Colorado. Laura had left to go uh, gallivant around the world, study at Oxford for summer. I was left working in the bag room at a golf course, so I got the really good end of that deal. And I was saving for a ring, and um, she left a box of her stuff because she's from California, and so she didn't want to ship it home. Now, you'd have to be some kind of lowlife to go rooting around in somebody else's stuff, but I totally did. It took me like a week, you know? She left this box, and so I like start digging around it, and there was a bar of Plumeria soap from Bath and Body Works. And whenever I smell Plumeria, like the feelings of love just overwhelm me. I just, I just rendered useless. So if you want to see me just a puddle, just bring Plumeria to church, and I'll just fall right down here. But smells, it's so fascinating how smell kind of conjures memory. There's science around this olfactory, you know, our senses, one of, our, uh, one of them that's connected most with memory is what we smell. And so that's why when you smell something, you can immediately be somewhere else. 
And it's also interesting that memories are connected to often experiences or trauma or pain. We now know this with brain science, that when we experience pain and trauma, it's mapped in our brains in such a way that it's connected to memories. And so if we smell something that triggers that memory, we can instantly be back in that moment of pain or trauma. It's, a, it's sort of the basis for a number of therapies, one's EMDR, where they kind of remap your brain to, to help you deal with trauma and pain. Um, all of this is connected to this passage we're going to look at this morning in the lectionary that, that we find is John chapter 18. And I think it's one of the most beautiful and intimate exchanges in the whole Bible. Um, there's a few along the way, one where, you know, Abram tells God his deepest fear in Genesis 15. I love that one. This one where John, or, or John's the writer, Peter and Jesus find themselves together at the end of the story. And I just think it's breathtaking. John writes it in a way where it's fascinating how the details he puts in there, including the smells, which would have been around. So if you have your Bibles, John 18, and I'm going to invite you to do whatever you need to do to really enter into the story. So I'm going to ask you to try to imagine like what you're hearing. So if you want to stand, usually we stand for the reading of the text. If you want to do that, you're welcome to. If you want to sit and close your eyes, if you want to kneel, however you want to sort of hear this, the goal is I want you to try to imagine that you're there and see what you're hearing, all right? So John 18, starting in verse 15. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known by the high priest, came back, and he spoke to the servant girl on duty and brought Peter in. You are one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. I am not, he replied. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire that they had made to keep warm, and Peter was standing there warming himself as well. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I have only spoken, the wor- uh, I've spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I have always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. And I said nothing in secret, so why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearly slapped him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded? If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what's wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why do you strike me? And then Anna sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still there, warming himself by the fire. And so they asked him, you are one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it. I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him, didn't I see you with him in the garden? And again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. Chapter 21, afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee, and it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. And so they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize it was him. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. Throw your net on the other side of the boat. You'll find some there. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. And then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. As as soon as Simon Peter heard him say that, It is the Lord. He wrapped himself in his outer garment and jumped into the water. 
The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. And so Simon climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore, for it was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took and took bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. And this was the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Take care of my sheep. And a third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. God, here we are, and I believe you are here as well. And so I pray that in the next few moments that we have together, that by your spirit, you would speak to us, that you would say what our hearts need to hear, what you long for us to know, that you would whisper it in our ears, that we would have the gift of seeing and hearing and knowing who you are and what you're inviting us to. So Holy Spirit, You have free reign in this place, and to the degree that we can, we say yes to you. We say we trust you. We believe that you're good, and you have good things for us. So, help us to see them, I pray. In Christ's name, and all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. I love this story. Sometimes the Bible is really boring. Not a lot of pastors are going to tell you that, but it's true. And sometimes you're just kind of like, oh my gosh, Leviticus 24, and it's a little humdrum, right? But then you read a story like this, and it's just like, bam, it's all there, right? I mean, I love, if you're imagining the story, Peter's in the boat, not in the water, right? They're rowing back to shore, and John's like, Peter, it's the Lord, and he just loses his stuff. He puts clothes on and then jumps in the water. So if you imagine it, they're like rowing, and they're like, hey, Pete, what's up, yo? And he's like Michael Phelpsing it all the way back to shore, you know? Like, why jump out of the boat when you're already in it? But he just does it. He can't hold himself in. And then there's, they don't know it's Jesus, and he says, hey, what are you doing out there? I mean, it's just fantastic. It's such a great story, and John tells it really well. I have a question for you this morning. Have you ever looked back and regretted something? Like, have you ever had a moment you wish you could do over? Something you said to someone, or something that you did or didn't do, or a season of your life when you look back and you're like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe I believed that, or I said that, or I thought that was true. Have you ever had one of those kinds of moments? I think that this is one of those moments for Peter. Clearly, you could argue, I don't think you have to argue, that this is one of his worst days of his life, remembering this moment, when he's asked three times, are you with Jesus? And he says no, three different times. He's called Satan at one point, which is a bad day, right? Anytime Jesus calls you Satan, it's not going well. But I would argue this one is like right up there with one of his worst days of following Jesus. Peter's been like in the middle of this whole thing, three and a half years, with this ragtag group of people following this itinerant Jewish preacher across the countryside, learning, teaching, uh, eating, sleeping, the whole, everything. It's all there with him, and he's, he's in the middle of it. He's on the inner circle. There's three people that are Jesus' like pals, 
And Peter's one of them, right? He's usually the one who jumps in first. He asks the question. He makes an idiot of himself. He loses his temper. He cuts a guy's ear off. Like, that would have been crazy. That happened. This is Peter's life, right? And in last week, we studied in chapter 13, Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And then Peter tells Jesus, I will go all the way to death with you. And then there's this moment. He's standing in the courtyard, surrounded by people around a fire. And somebody says, hey, aren't you with him? And he says, no. And like the words come out of it. Have you ever had one of those moments where like the words are coming out of your mouth and you're just like, Worst sermon I ever preached was at Trout Lake Camp. It was awful, you guys. It was so bad. 500 people packed into a room, junior hires. They are all there, and I can only see one person, and her name is Heather Fleece, and she's sitting, like, right here. Heather Fleece is one of the most phenomenal communicators I know. She's fantastic, and I just start, like, I get in my own head, you know, and it is like a spiral down to the depths of bad preaching, and I am watching myself on the stage from outside looking in, like an out-of-body experience, going, Micah, stop, abort, end it. They're dying out there, and you're killing them. And I just keep talking. It's awful. Unraveling right in front of my eyes, but he couldn't stop it, you know? I think this is one of those moments for Peter. Like, as he thinks back on this, have you ever had one of those moments where you wish you could take it back, you wish you could do it differently, you said something that was harmful, hurtful, maybe it changed everything. That's what I want to talk about today. I want to spend some time thinking about our mistakes and our regrets, or maybe things that we look back on and we wish we could do differently. Because I think that there are some things in this passage for us to learn about those moments. And I want to spend some time at the end giving you an opportunity to reflect on maybe that a moment or a few moments, which is why you have those cards. So hang on to those if you want to participate in that. If you don't, that's totally cool couple of observations before we get there. As it relates to mistakes and regrets and looking back and wishing we could do it differently, I would just want to start by saying I think that regrets and mistakes, this is the cover charge to life. I'm not nearly as cool as I put on. The last time I went to like a show where you had to like pay a cover charge, I think I was 22. That was a long time ago. But you've all been to that, right? You go to a club or a music deal and you have to like pay a cover charge at the door to just get in the door. If you want to like eat or drink or buy a CD. Do they still sell those at concerts anymore? CDs, vinyl. If you want to buy some vinyl, you know, you got to pay on top of what you've already paid to just get in the building, you know? Like you got to pay to play. Mistakes, regrets, missteps. When we say something we wish we could take back, this is like the cover charge to living life. If you have a pulse and you live with other humans, it's bound to happen. And yet, how much time and energy do we spend trying to mitigate or stop or like risk aversion, right? How much energy have you spent thinking about what might happen if you do that or, or if you step out in faith or take this risk, the mistake that you might make? And how many things have you not done because of fear? I think about my grandpa, he used to say, to err is human, to forgive is divine. Like, I'm not saying that we shouldn't care or that we shouldn't be intentional or that we shouldn't be uh, like present for our own lives and not go around like a wrecking ball. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that there's a way in which we can sit on the sidelines and not step out in faith or not risk things because we're afraid we're going to make a mistake or that we're going to regret something that we said or did. And so, so many, I've sat across so many 
coffee tables and, and listen to people who have said things similar to this. So maybe a friendly reminder this morning. Like if you're breathing, if you have a pulse, you probably have a regret or a mistake that you've made. And if we were to speak them out loud, they would go out the door and around the corner and down to Moochie's and they would sit and have donuts together. All of our mistakes and all of our regrets. So just, can we not be so anxious about that fact that we, like, we're surprised when that happens sometimes, when somebody messes up and we're like, oh my gosh, or when you mess up. But it's bound to happen. It's like, you got to pay to play. And we're human, you're human, I'm human, and we're going to make mistakes. So can we just say that out loud and start there? Which leads me to the second point, which is, can we learn to have grace for ourselves? And you heard me correct. Grace for ourselves, and then can we learn to have grace for others? See, Jesus says we should love our neighbor as our what? Self. That's correct, friends. Good job. You are awake. There's two distinct parts to this. Love your neighbor as yourself. We always see that. We hear that. And we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, love my neighbor. I need to do this. I need to do that. Love your neighbor as yourself. So logic would say that if you don't love yourself, you can't rightfully love your neighbor. Can we learn to have grace for ourselves? Can we learn to love ourselves? One of my friends has this, uh, this phrase where he says, like, like he talks to himself, you know, Micah, I love you. Micah, you're doing your best. Micah, you're trying hard with the information you've got. You're doing a good job. Like, can we learn to have grace for ourselves and learn to love ourselves and forgive ourselves for whatever missteps or regrets or mistakes we've made so that as we learn to experience grace and love and forgiveness for ourselves, we have something to give to our neighbors who we're to love as ourselves. This is, by the way, where the doctrine of original sin is not helpful, right? The doctrine of original sin in the church is this idea that you, like from the moment go, when you breathed your first breath, you were immediately to the core evil and sinful, which on one level I understand, but it's really hard to learn to love yourself and give grace for yourself and forgive yourself if you believe that you're nothing but a worm, but if you begin the story where the Bible begins the story in Genesis chapter 1, you'll know that there's blessing and benevolence and goodness, and God says it is good, and it includes you and me. And then there's a group of us, all of us, who wander away from what God made good and called good and enables and, and, and invites us to for something else. And so repentance is not me saying something so that God will do something. It's only believing what God has already said is true about me. Say it again, preacher. Repentance is not me doing something or saying something so God will do something. Repentance is only agreeing with what God has already said, which is you are beloved. You are a son. You are a daughter. You are mine. I, have, I made you. I loved you. you. From the moment you were born, I knew you before you were born. Everything about you. And I want it back, and I invite it back. And I... So can we receive the grace that's already been spoken over us in Christ, and learn to love ourselves. Learn to give ourselves grace when we make mistakes. I can't tell, and for pastors and preachers, this is like doubly, because I stand here every week and I say things to you. I can't tell you the number of things that I have said from the pulpit that I categorically reject as untrue and false now. That should give you serious concern for why you're sitting here today. But in all seriousness... What else do you expect? 
are you the same person you were 10 years ago? No. I'm not using God's name in vain, but God, I hope you're not. And I'm not. And so we grow and we change, and my life is a, is a continuum. I'm, I'm on this journey from here to there, and somewhere in between, I learn all kinds of things, new things. So can we have grace for ourselves in the midst of that process and be able to say, you know what? When I said that to those kids in junior high that I taught revelation to seventh graders, like, <laughs> I was 21 years old. Like any parent should have been like, no, no, no. But they didn't. They're like, he's really funny. You should listen to him. I taught Revelation to seventh graders. It was just like literal, like left behind. I read the books and then I just told this. It was bad. It was really bad. <laughs> I, I tell you, I asked, I've asked for forgiveness so many times for that. It's not even funny. But I did that. I was doing the best I had, the best I could with what I had. And I've grown. Thank the Lord I've grown. But there I was. And so I look back at that, and do I regret that? Sort of, yes, but I've learned to look back at that, Micah, and say, you know what, Micah? I forgive you. You were doing the best you could with what you had at that time, and your passion was off the charts, so thank you for that. <laughs> Can we learn to have grace for ourselves? Can we learn to forgive ourselves so that we know how to love our neighbors as ourselves? Huh? If you hate yourself and you think you're awful, I don't want you to love me if you're my neighbor. Right? You see what I'm saying? Which leads me to a third and final conclusion or observation. I think it's so fascinating. I forgot to tell this joke first hour, and I forgot to tell it again, and I'm not going to miss this opportunity because this one's really funny. <laughs> Back to things that you thought were true that you don't think were true anymore. I am not even joking, you guys. In high school, I was like in the, ho the locker room with my hockey friends, and we were talking about sex, because that's what you do, you know, as a teenage boy. And I was like, well, yeah, I mean, sex is for procreation. And it was like, Aah! the locker room stops, and somebody goes, whoa, 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 hang on. You're telling me that, like, if you get married, you're only going to have sex if you want to have a baby? And I'm like, yeah, that's what it's for. <laughs> I actually believed that. You know, praise Jesus, I don't anymore, but... Oh. So we grow, we move, we change, and it's all good. See, wasn't that worth it? That was, that was funny. Okay, to my third and final observation. Jesus has no time for shame and wallowing and rubbing Peter's nose in an awful, humiliating moment when he denied knowing the very Jesus that he says he follows. Jesus has no time for shame. I think it is just so profound that in the whole story, Jesus never brings it up. That should say something. In the whole telling of the story, maybe John's retelling it, and maybe Jesus did, and John just retells the story this way. I actually don't think he did. Based on what I believe about Jesus and who I find him to be in the story of the Gospels, I don't think he brought it up. I don't think he needed to. Jesus... Instead of, and I grew up with four brothers, so I had a master's degree in what it means to like make somebody pay for a moment and a word, right? Like we just took, we rarely passed up an opportunity to make somebody feel bad for something they did. We, we chronicled them all very detailed so as to use that later at another date, right? Do unto others quick before they do it to you. This was my house growing up. 
So I had a master's degree in this, and it comes naturally to me, right, to shame somebody for something that they've done or to shame myself because this is what we do. This is how, as a culture, somebody steps out, they make a mistake, and we highlight it. But Jesus, he doesn't say boo about it. He just says, hey, Peter, come have some breakfast. And then he says, he's got fish and he's got bread, and they have a boatload of fish, 153 of them to be exact. And Jesus says, you know what? I don't need your fish. I've got it covered. I've got the fish. I've got the bread. I've got it all. But why don't you bring your fish? I don't need it, but I want it. I don't need you, Peter, but I want you. I love you. I want you to be a part of this. You're a mess, man. You make a mess of all kinds of things. It's clear. But I want you. Come and eat. Have some breakfast. And so around a fire, right? Like three denials, standing around a fire. Jesus sitting on the shore with a fire. The smell of the smoke, the campfire. Jesus, the three questions. Do you know him? Do you know him? Do you know him? No, no, no. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Jesus doesn't have to say anything to Peter. He knows what's going on. And what Peter is getting is not shame, not belittling, not rubbing his nose in his mistake or his regret or his misstep, but rather it's grace. It's future. Peter, there's a role for you to play. There's a job for you to do, and here it is. I need you to go out, and as the church, the person upon which the church will be built, I need you to police the world and make sure everybody's doing right morally. Nope, that's not it. That's not what he says. He says, Peter, do you love me? Then go feed my sheep. Go love my people. You have a job to do, and the job is love, love, love. That's it. So Peter comes up soaking wet with passion, and he hears from Jesus, come and eat with me. Sit by the fire. Warm your heart, warm your soul, warm whatever is cold. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? So maybe you're here this morning and there's a regret. Maybe there's a moment that you wish you could do over. Maybe there's a story. Maybe there's a person Maybe there's a season where you look back and you're like, oh my gosh, I did so much harm to people with what I believed. You have a card in your hands. And in the next few moments, we're carving out some space. I want to just invite you to maybe write a letter. Like if you were going to look back on that person and you had anything to say to them, what would that be? And based on what you have learned about God through the actions and the character of Jesus, what tone would that take? What kinds of things might we say to that person? And maybe there's something that God might say or want to say. We just want to create some space for you to write those things down. And maybe you want to keep that. Maybe we'll just put this up here. This is where I was burning things earlier. This is my secret. Maybe you just want to put it right in there and we'll burn them all. Burn them all down. Maybe you want to keep it. Maybe you don't. I don't know. But I want to invite you to write. So here's what's going to happen. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. We're going to leave a little bit of space for silence. And then a couple of things will happen. We'll invite you to write whatever you feel so led to write. John, Mark, and the band are going to begin singing. There's a song that sort of lands here in this idea of I've made mistakes, it's called. And that'll just be singing over you. And then there are going to be people up here in the front. And we invite you, if you feel so led, to come forward and to kneel at these kneelers and to be consecrated, to be sent in the name of love. Love, 
love for the work that God has invited you to do. If he, if he asked Peter to be involved, we've got a good shot. And so we have been and we are. And so maybe you're a mom, or maybe you're a dad, or maybe you're a realtor, or maybe you're a teacher, or maybe you're a law enforcement, in law enforcement, maybe, whatever it is you do, we want to anoint you with oil. Oil in the scriptures is a, is a symbol of God's presence and anointing or sending on mission. When a king was anointed, they, they, like this is the king, and they're being sent and commissioned to be the king. And so we want to anoint you and consecrate you to the work of love, love, and more love in the world. And so if you would like to come forward, our prayer team will be down here and they'll just put some oil on your forehead and anoint you and consecrate you for that work. So that's what we're gonna do. You can participate in any or all of those things or you can just sit quietly. So let me pray for you and we'll dive in. God, in the next few moments, I pray that your Holy Spirit would descend on this place like a dove, that it would just rain down, that we would feel and sense and know that you are real, that you're present, that you're here, that you are for us, that you are not some absentee landlord angry somewhere else, but that you are with us, that you're on the shore cooking breakfast and invited us to come and to dine with you, to, be, to hear the words we need to hear. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And insofar as we can say yes to that, to hear the words, then go. Go in love. Go in love. Go in love. And so in the next few moments of silence, Holy Spirit, do your work. I pray. Friends, would you stand if you're not yet for a benediction as we close? So to all the mess-ups, all the dropouts, all the people who haven't gotten it right, all the people who have dropped the ball and made the mistakes and didn't make the A-team. Do you love him? Do you love him? Do you love him? The response is go. Go in love. Go in love. Go in love. So remember, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lifts up his face to shine upon you and is gracious unto you. The Lord's lifting up his countenance to you and offering you his peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, receive it with whole hearts. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Grace and peace, friends. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awaken Community or on Twitter at Awaken Community. See you next time.